Welcome everyone to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast, Denmark edition. If you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay updated to our latest episodes. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, we're thrilled to have Lasse Nowak as our guest. He's the VP of Engineering Development at Vestas, a global leader in wind turbine technology. Boasting over 20 years of industry experience, Lasse's passion for wind turbine simulation has led to leverage his technical prowess, analytical skills, and leadership experience to optimize turbine performance. As he spearheads high-performing teams across Europe, the US, and India, Lasse continues to drive organizations to new heights. Today, we're going to explore his journey and his passion for digital simulation of wind turbines. How are you doing, Lasse? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Yes. Yes. I'm very good. Very good indeed. Uh, delighted to have you. You and me have discuss, been discussing this passion for probably about two, three months now um, and discussing areas where we could talk about this. Um, so really excited to actually host it uh, and record it. Um, where, where, where are you based today? Are you based in Denmark today? Yes, I am. I'm sitting in at our Adidas headquarters in Denmark in Aarhus. So uh, that's where I'm sitting right now. And the most British question, obviously, is how's the weather? It's uh, it's the same as always. A little bit cloudy, and a little bit cold and windy, and so not that uncommon for this side of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely, lovely, okay, lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same as over here, to be honest. And yeah, fingers crossed. In a couple of months, we can say something different. But I suppose, listen, yeah. um, today's about you and like discussing your passion. So, just tell us a bit more about for the people who don't know you and are listening now. Tell us a bit about and the, how you got to the position you are in now and how your kind of passion grew. Yeah, so I, uh, I might as well. Uh... That I've uh, right off the gate here that, that I've been with uh, investors for more than 20 years, uh, which is a bit, a bit unusual these days uh, to, to be with the company for this long. But I can honestly say I've never had a boring day or months. I think it's been a fantastically interesting journey to be on with, with such an interesting industry. And because it has been maturing industry, we started with uh, basically almost a bunch of rebels trying to to. Know, make something out of wind turbines. Been a fun ride to be part of. What, you know, taking the company from the relatively small sized company it was when I joined to something that is a world without failure in the world uh, and, and part of the renewable business revolution. And and expect the company to continue to grow tremendously over the next decades. And then uh, it's going to be interesting to be part of that journey as well. But um, I started the investors. Uh, as I said, 20 years ago, as uh, 
as an engineer, uh, back then I was hired in as the one of a relatively small amount of designers that would design the wind turbine towers. Uh, I had a background as a mechanical engineer. Uh, I have a master's degree in structural analysis and, and, and basically I work with optimization of low carrying designs, which it's a wind turbine tower is very purpose is to carry the load so the entire turbine transmitted to the ground. And uh, obviously there you know there's a lot of people who've always asked me what what's the isn't just a big stick, what was the point? Why do we need so many of them? Well it's because they are they they consume a lot of materials and it's not uncommon these days that, that a wind turbine tower can weigh from anywhere around two hundred metric tons up to maybe eight hundred metric tons. Going with the big offshore ones. So you want to, to optimize them as much as humanly possible, not just for cost, but also because it's good for the environment. It will be used the better for the environment. And what's been the first many years, uh, uh, basically just working with designs, building simulation tools. Uh, I worked with a lot of the automation. And, uh, but it was doing design and building new mathematical models, uh, simulation tools, design tools. I got another experience within design and programming and certification. And, and then at some point, uh, there was a guy uh, that became the new VP of the area that was very interested in the ideas I had for where we should take our department and where we should take how we design wind turbine towers because I, I've always had a lot of ideas for what we should do. Uh, yeah. And uh, then at one point he did, he said, you know, what if I were to make you the head of the department and that means you have to go from a sort of a technical role into management role and and at that time i had actually spent a couple of years a few years before as an expat in the u.s where i was helping establish a team in the u.s that um, which gave me a bit of taste of what it's like to to build a team and if you work with the people or you know how do you get anybody trained how do you get into bigger work with how to do things, and it was a really, really good experience. I you know, got a lot of fantastic with the guys over there. Uh, some of the people that I still consider my friends, and that was in, in touch with, the, you know, reading those more than ten years ago. And and uh, so I said, you know, why not give it a shot? And uh, so I did. And one thing led to another. Shortly after, I followed him to our ID office in Chennai. Uh, helped set up a new team over there. Um, with the purpose of essentially building a team that could do engineer to order with turbine towers because we had managed to make the process of design and so automated that we could leverage that and, and I actually played, at least that's what I like to tell myself, a violent role in winning a substantial amount of orders because we could compete with very cost-efficient towers in the way that the, our competitors couldn't. Um, and my my manager at the time just had one condition that if we were to set up for the team, we should leverage we say the cost practice set up we had in Shenanga. So we set up a team over there. And then after a couple of months, he, for various reasons, he forbade the company and that meant that he said, you know, now you have to take over as the head of the IT office in Shenanga. And I was there for a while. Then I came back to Denmark. Uh, I was offered a, a new position, which you could say after a few twists and turns. Ultimately, ended up in the job that I have now, where uh, I work more with, you say, how we do engineering, but basically, how should the future simulation, you know, 
methods work, how can we digitalize and how can we connect, how we do simulations, how can we work with new ways of dealing with cat worms, automate auto generating then new technologies like one based definitions. Basically finding smarter ways to do engineering, something I'm incredibly passionate about. I uh, I really enjoy the idea that you can bring new tools and solutions to the engineers that they can do things in a smarter way than did yesterday. And that's basically my story in five minutes. No, no, it's, it's an incredible journey from um, from all sides of the world there, from China to US, uh, landing in Denmark, uh, or back to Denmark, I suppose. Uh, the, the interesting point, so a lot of our listeners today will be Danish listeners or people based in Denmark who know Vestas as, from what you said, the, the company produces big, heavy sticks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even on your journey, you starting mechanical and then you're talking about automation now. Yeah. Tell us just a bit more about that kind of digital journey. Yeah. Of a company that might have not been considered from the standard users as digital and now you talked about digitalization quite commonly the company looks different just talk us through that journey for our listeners yeah i, I think that it's it's essentially because i have this say oh you know, maybe you want me to go as far as to say that my my mind works off of the premise that we are underutilizing the collective intelligence of the humankind right mm. and especially when it comes to how we utilize you know, people like the many brilliant engineers they have running around they spend too much of their time doing repetitive work and it, it's it prevents them from from really on unleashing their full potential and creativity right mm. so i had always thought it boring if i had to do the same thing twice or too many times in a row i would rather let the computer do that right but i can work on things that i find more interesting mm. it's just how my your mind insanity and how my mind works. Yeah. I know others enjoy the comfort of, of repeatability, but I, I get more easily bored when it becomes too repetitive. And then I've always tended to to basically can be somehow program something uh, and let the computer do the dirty work for us and then we can do we can say more fun stuff. Right. Explore new ideas, work with new interesting technologies. That's what motivates me to get up in the morning. And that's the reason for why I, I ventured into this area with the purpose of saying, okay, could we be more efficient? Can we move some steps where people that emailing information, data sets, could we somehow connect these tools and hence that it's a technical threat. It relieves us from the manual work of doing this. It also reduces errors. It also forces us to talk about how do we actually standardize the information, you know, are you even sure there'll be extended data and the formats? Those kind of things. Potentially just even to the idea that why work harder when you could work smart, right? And and uh, and there are many, many aspects to all of this. Uh, it it there are also the, the aspects of quality. So when you for instance make changes to your design, you have some sort of engineering change management to take care of that, you know. Do you really have all the information about the design as a complete data package for when you choose to release that design or are things scattered all over making it challenging for you to keep track of what simulation actually went with this design, which cat one, which went with this design. And when things didn't go wrong, how easy it is it to backtrace the information 
when you do your root cause analysis of what went wrong, things do go wrong. So it's about making sure that we have this connected world and even all leading to the value chain such that we can say whenever the engineer specify is just flowing like like water to the various parts of you can say the value chain. So if it's completely crystal clear, what is it that you intended to do here? There's a little information that's humanly possible that's handed over in a paper form. We could utilize things like augmented reality animations to show how things are supposed to be in a static root, those kind of things. Um, and uh, do, uh, do, you, do you think the, 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 the standard listener is, is yeah. when they think of Vestas and they think about your role, yeah, is thinking about augmented reality, yeah, automation, those type of things. Do you think um, the people, the type of people you employ or you look to hire, do you think they're thinking you're doing these type of things? And yeah, is the, yeah, is, is best us on like yeah. a journey to change the perception of themselves? I think it's a it's a fair question to ask, and I, I I would say it's things to be probably not. But I would say one of the things that it made me stay with the company for 20 years is that, that uh, it's always been a very ambitious company in terms of trying new things, maybe being at the, at, 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 you know, at the forefront of technology, right? Um, you can, of course, say now, of course, all of, like any other company, things to be do better. But I think it's, it's, it's always been the spirit of the company that we should thought new ideas, try new things, and push the envelope, so to speak. Yeah. And, and and that also includes these types of areas, and especially because putting a wind turbine is a decision from a, a logistical point of view and a value chain point of view, a tremendously complex task because we are sending a lot of stuff on site. And if you suppose the triple the company revenue, it also requires that we industrialize those activities, right? Make them standardized, make them run like like Swiss clockwork. Yeah. It's very difficult to do when you base everything off of paper. It, if you imagine that you go out there and everything can just be looked at with, by you saying overloading, augmented reality, uh, you know, providing you know simulations of how to assemble things, providing all the information on their iPad or an iPhone or whatever it is, everything perfectly digitalized. It makes the process much easier to control and, uh, from a quality point of view. And that really would be an aim for to provide consistency so that we can ensure that whatever we put up is also with the right quality. Um, and um, I think uh, it may be a little known fact that one of the biggest uh, uh, PM and vendors in the world uh, called PDC, it's a company that we work with, has invited us to live work, what would be, you could say, uh, the centerpiece of the of the conference, it's a conference of more than 6,000 people and hosting companies like E&W and all those kinds of, of companies from many different industries. And I, I don't think these would have been selected for that if it wasn't because we weren't very ambitious in terms of what we want to achieve with all of this. Of course, we're also in very interesting companies from the point of view that we are trying to promote many of the things that the world is trying to promote as a whole, right? The idea that we can change the world for the better, that you know, technology doesn't have to be new, but it can also be something that actually provides good solutions for the world. That mm -hmm. helps to save the by reducing carbon footprints, uh, but still provide sustainable electricity to the world. Uh, and uh, our ticket sensation journey is the one that allows us to actually track 
all of carbon footprint and do so in a way that it actually provides the engineers or the customers with an actual choice, right? Mm. No, well, what if, what if we could make it the choice of the customers to go in and say, well, I can buy this item, this vendor or this vendor. One of them may be a little bit more uh, expensive than the other. It could also be the cost of the same. But one with one has half the carbon footprint, why not pick the one that has the least? And you at least making an active choice to contribute to that, right? And I think this is something you will see with more and more companies in the world that they are very vocal about. How much are they recycling? How much have they reduced their carbon footprints? And it's going to be something that the consumers will actually make a part of their choice of products in the future. I was going to say, so, I mean, Vestas is in an industry probably 10, 15 years before it became um, the cool thing to do. Yeah. I suppose, where does Vestas uh, and where... Where do you think, yeah, where does Vestas play a role in the world at the minute? Like, have they, have they thought about this? Have you thought about this, about the type of company you are and how you want to position yourself? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Last year, Vestas was voted as the most sustainable company in the world. And it's part of our brand and it's part of our identity. identity. And it's something, I, I think we finished first within the renewable entity this year, but was only second place overall. We have every intention to to reclaim the first place in this regard, but it's of course also something better. The more companies that that offer competition in this regard is something that is a thing of joy, right? Because it just means that we are not the only ones that others are. I tried to 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 take over the battle, but it's definitely part of our energy. I think it's also it's something that is is. I would say been, it, it's something we hear quite often with the people who, who come to work for us, that they have been in other industries, but they feel somewhat, yeah, say, roll on being up again to take their skills and put it to good use for, for a company that actually could change the world, right? Um, at least to uh, make a significant contribution for the better. I think well, it's a more increasingly important point. Well, I mean, our studies, we run studies about talent, uh, especially in tech, data and products. And over the last three, four years across the, especially Sweden, especially Norway, especially Denmark, yeah, one of the main deciding factors of um, candidates choosing their next job is the impact that that company is having. Yeah, you must, I, I mean, I don't know of your experience, but it must be kind of a nice experience joining Vestas, knowing that you have had this idea on how the world can be better for so long. I do, do. Do you see that when people are coming in and when you're looking to hire? Like I said before, that's definitely a strong point in, in the with the people we hire. There are of course also people that just join us because they think it's cool tech, right? But, but mm. I would say more often than not, it, it's 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 one of the key reasons for why they choose to join the company. I would also say the fact that we are operating in almost all parts of the world, right? So very international, very international company. We had, I don't know how many different nationalities we had at working at Vestas, but it's a lot. It's basically from all over the world, uh, even at our age, if I had to guess, it's probably, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 nationalities each year. And it's not just from Europe, it's from, it's from the US, it's from South America, it's from Australia, Eastern Europe, Italy, France, South of Europe, it's it's from everywhere. So, let's, let's circle back round. Yeah, so, just talking about a few, like, 
the most recent achievements or the most recent uh, improvements in uh, the wind turbine technology space? Yeah, so kind of what's going on? What 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 are you up to, and and what what are the significant improvements either happening or have happened? Yeah, so so I I think it would be interesting to talk about some of our recent product launches. So. Mm-hmm. Not so long ago, we have launched our new flagship uh, wind turbine for the offshore segment, which is our V236. Mm. So the 236 is the actual measure for the rotor diameter. And for those who are somewhat skilled with math, you can probably uh, deduct how large of a blade that is. Uh, the rotor diameter in terms of swept area corresponds to, I think, six Bucket feet for something around that and 60 megawatts of power. Uh, if you take, I would say, around 60 to 70 of those turbines you had and you put them offshore, you have approximately the same level of power production as you would for, a, say, a regular sized nuclear power plant. Right. So, so, uh, so they're really big, what I'm trying to say. And they'll, um, and it's a little bit of, of an awe-aspiring endeavor to, to see them up close. Uh, well, you could drive an entire bus inside one of the lakes. In fact, I think this probably stack a couple of them on top of each other or close to at least. They're really, really big. Uh, and the nacelle that sits on top of the tower is as big as a, as a house. It's really, really big components. Uh, and having said that, I also think that what the industry may very well see now, or at least that's what our CTO says, what I also hear some of the other CTOs saying from Siemens and General Electric and some of the other bigger players said, this is probably the time where we can say two, two things really have to become that much bigger to, be, to take the next step in terms of cost efficiency, especially considering that wind turbines uh, and renewables in general are already the cheapest source of energy in many parts of the world. Then, so in order to solve some of the problems of scaling the rollout of, of wind turbines and renewables, we have to spend more time on, on thinking out how do we industrialize all of that? How do we get the better change to ramp up with us, right? And if we keep producing new designs, which ultimately is also new mold, new casting, new production equipment, it, it becomes a very capex-intensive industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, potentially very risky and, and require a lot of capital, right? So how can we utilize whatever we have already invested and instead design for CEO? And then last but not least, speaking of one of my other favorite topics of modernization, and how do we modernize and standardize the product in such a way that we can reuse and figure our products in such a way that we can still find something that is optimal for that particular side and this particular customer without having to redo the entire turbine. Mm. So how can we design our turbines in such a way that we can leverage the idea of designing in the ground, existing building blocks or modules, piece them together, and then configure our products towards what's optimal rather than redesigning from scratch at a single time. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the goal. I think not just for us, the favorite of the other OEMs on the on the market. How do we how do you industrialize all of this? Right. It must be tough for a company who has embraced um, innovation so much. Yes, I think it's uh, it's also a cultural journey. So yes, right. And we can also see it in some of the challenges that we have seen in terms of getting an entire organization to shift their mindset. 
with the German ones, as the old saying goes, you know, and they hate eat salad for breakfast, right? So <laughs> culture, right? So 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 how do you how do you change the culture from something that has been very, you could say, technology and make the next sides of the turbine centric or something where let me put everything into a structure. How do we how do we organize all of our data? How do we organize all of the lives so we can see what to reuse? It requires a different way of thinking and some different skills. And there are say also some really good because a methods for how to simulate, how to is it manage your data, how to digitize things so that we make it easy and compelling for the engineers to go on this journey. And how are you how are you and how are Vestas getting on with this journey of Sharing. Well, we have multiple programs. Some of them are technical. Some of them are very little around, you could say, the more, you could say, cultural aspect. I'll be work as a company. But then it is a daunting task to change, you say, how people work. Yeah. Especially if they've been there 20 years. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I think... I think it has more to do with, with, with personality than it has to do with, and, and culture than it has to do with, with not only video, but there's certainly some correlation, right? But, 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 uh, and it also, it, it also requires that you do things differently because if you, if you gotta work with botulization and, and, and civilization, you gotta attack your, because say, you know, architect and your designs more strategically in the sense that you gotta do, you know, sensitivity studies. What happens if I do this? What in the drive for your design? You gotta study how, how does it impact my interfaces, the size of my components, and how does it fit with the neighboring components that I need to connect to? It's a, it's a more challenging task. It's not something you just do. And this is also why you see from, for instance, from the automotive industry, they're very protective of their architectures. They take quite a while to develop. I mean, this is for some but you can say the sizes of cars go on the head into the bit. You know, they have gone in sizes, but in incremental, incremental steps. So they're trying to adjust things very carefully. And, and you can also see now that their tradition of transitioning to EVs, it has taken them a really long time to actually build new EV platforms just in the chassis. And a lot of them have started out with saying, you know, how can we utilize the existing chassis platforms that we have from the PVs and, or, or the PVs and the basically just put in the stuff that we need for electrical. And it just, you know, when even top days like Volkswagen or BMW or Mercedes finds the challenge it's of course also talenting for us. Uh, we, we are less mature industry than they are. But I would say this: uh, we we try to make up for that by having a lot of passion and and a culture where which, where I think we have a a, a can-do attitude, right? And let's get things done. Uh, I think if you if you had the courage to put up a, a wind turbine with a two hundred thirty-six meter rotor. Then there are no limits to what you can achieve, and, and that's also really sort of the mindset, the best of that, you know, how let's get things done, right? And I suppose for our listeners, do you how often, like, do you get to get up close with the turbines? I know you're a turbine specialist, yeah, but nowadays, for ju- someone joining Vestas, how close do you get? Especially a lot of our listeners will be in tech, product, data, yeah. How what do they get to see? What's exactly going on? Just talk us through that side of it. Yeah, there, there, obviously, if you go offshore, there are special rules and regulations for, for safety. 
it can be safety very, very seriously because it is a dangerous business. You work at heights, they're very heavy stuff. And um, unfortunately, we've had, because even though I think we're doing quite well in terms of safety these days, it's something that we think we can always do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people do, unfortunately, lose their lives sometimes or get significantly injured. But, but uh, aside from, from the, the special regulations we have on shore, we also have some onshore, but it's a little bit easier to access. You can go and plan the turbine, you can see how it will work. You can also visit our various manufacturing facilities. Mm-hmm. Those who, who, who work in, at our, either our office or general office, they will uh, have production facilities close by. We produce both makes, materials, docks, uh, we don't produce our own towels anymore, but there are local, you could say, uh, our manufacturers in Wendland that you see. Of course, some of our suppliers, but you can go and visit them as well. So it's easy to get a feel for how things are produced and, and how big things are if you're into that. And, and so um, you're on this journey, and the next stage is industrialization, right? I suppose, is the world ready for you, for example, if you smash this if you manage to do this one is the world ready for uh, to be able to buy the supply or buy the need that you're creating and i suppose the and then the opposite side how fast does the world need companies like Vestas to industrialize this process because of the renewable energy goals it's a it's a good question how how fast is the really world ready for change for renewables i honestly hope that it's it's ready I think we have the technology. I, I don't know if anybody has seen the very inspirational speech given by Al Gore recently when he talked on the well, on a climate panel about the fact that we do have the technology ready. Mm. And I, I don't think, of course, there are things that we need to develop technology. That there also needs to be we need to be realistic about some of the improvements we need to do with the grid, stuff like that. And sorry, of course. There are an investment where of course things need to be changed. But it doesn't mean that we can't do it and actually do it. And and I almost think it's interesting that if you take some of the big cup meetings when you look at who's actually driving that, did you have representatives from on the oil industry on, on those kinds of up meetings? Mm. There are also financial, you know, incentive crew to slow things down, right? Mm. And and if this was purely a technology range, then I think it would be much more straightforward to do things. But it's also about how do you finance things? How do you transition things from something that will say carbon-based, you could say every day that we have to something that is based on renewables. But I think the, the evidence for, you could say, with the increasing temperatures and the climate problems we have, we really need, can we really have to debate those anymore? Isn't it evident that they're there and that they're real and, and we are causing them? And it's now that we actually have people who are passionate about solving those problems. Now, can we then allow them to, to do so? And that's what I, how I feel. Yeah. And I think that when we look back 50 years from now and people are driving EVs and we have implemented story solutions and stuff like that, maybe somebody will miss their old hot rod or something like that, or people will take their hot rods to the track and, you know, listen to the wonderful sound of a mediator, which I enjoy as the next guy. I'm not trying to be fanatic about that, but I think everybody will look back at it and say, this is much better, right? And, 
And I don't think you have to be afraid of the channel if you have whatever, but you can solve it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the people missing the V8 engine, um, I don't think there's many people missing riding a horse to work um, from thousands of years ago. So I don't think we'll miss it. It'll be just something more interesting. Um, I suppose, listen, we're closing in on like, the end of the podcast. Yeah. And I'm really interested to like hear about kind of what's next for you. Like what's, wh- where do you see this going in two, three years? Yeah. Like, where do you think we're going to be with wind turbine technology in the next two, three years? I think we will continue to see uh, and I think you will begin to see a lot of improvement in terms of how things are connected. We are already an industry where our turbines are connected, but I think you will see even more so. And I think that uh, on a topic that we also talked about at the beginning in terms of simulations, I think that the world as a whole is standing in the foothills of what will be a revolution in how we do simulation typing with some of the technologies that are coming with machine learning, AI support and simulations and, and control systems that we just at the full head of what that technology can produce. And that means that you will start to see more efficient ways of running things, more optimal products, things that can be optimized in ways and remove redundancies and additional safety that we haven't seen before. And uh, I consider myself a quite innovative guy, but I think that that's, I don't even think I would be close to be able to adapt to what it can do for us. I, I think the sky is really the limit. And we will see, we will see capabilities being developed where you could say things can automatically adjust themselves. You can optimize how an entire new turbine park is being controlled get more yield out of it because we have models that can predict how things are forming for the greater good of mankind. And, and we will also see then product be more optimally designed and because we can do simulations that we haven't been able to do before. It's just going to be a lot of really wonderful things and, and an incredibly exciting time if you're an, an engineer in terms of some of the tools that you have available that we've never been able to, to do before. And, how far are you away from calling yourself a tech company? Oh, I would say that we are. I say that we already are a tech company, mm. um, and I also think that there's a fair chance that that uh, some of the things that we we are working on right now will be sold as services at some point, right? We mm. need you know, forms of data and simulation services, control services, and uh, that could that could be something that could be a revenue stream for us at some point, I think. And for our listeners in tech, software, data, product, machine learning, these type of people, yeah, what type, what type of positions uh, should they be applying for at Vestas? Like, what type of people are Vestas looking for at the minute? But I think, I think that we are looking for almost all types of engineers to be honest with you, because that's what's really fun about the company. Because we do software, we do hardware, we do within the hardware design, we have all aspects of engineering, everything from electronics, power and electronics, uh, you know, cooling systems, CFD analysis, electrical designs, and then hydronics, and then mechanical design, civil engineering, and data science, machine learning, you know. You name it, we've got it, I would say. Um, mm. So it's really just about, you know, looking what are some of the open positions and if it's something you think found interesting, apply. And as I said, we have a, 
and very international culture. Of course, we are Scandinavian company. I think uh, there's been a lot of, say, Danish and Scandinavian people working at our headquarters that close without say. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the, the numbers are changing by the minute almost. And, and that we are becoming a more and more international company. There's also an opportunity in our eight-stantly uh, facilities in, in Chennai, India, and in Porto. And we also have some smaller, you could say, offices in Germany and other places of the world, but they work with drive training and sort of thing. Uh, a lot of opportunities. And uh, I suppose if anyone listening uh, wanted to connect with you, how would they do it? Well, you're going to always write to me and think that I... I think I do a pretty good job uh, at Dickerson Reply, uh, usually. Uh, and um, uh, even if it means that you're not applying for an opening, uh, but I or somebody within my management area has posted, and then what happens if one in the right direction? Perfect. Lasse, I much appreciated the conversation today. It's actually got me really excited. I did a geography degree at school, and I kind of feel like I've always missed out getting into this type of stuff. Um, so who knows you might get my application um, listen everyone thank you for listening so much like I said you can connect we'll make sure we put the link to uh, Lasse's LinkedIn URL so you can connect with him uh, massive appreciation if you've listened all the way through and uh, yeah go and check out the open positions on Vestas it's pretty clear I've looked at it before so check it out um, and thank you for listening and obviously press subscribe share um, and yeah, thanks. Thanks again. Uh, looking forward to having you all in the next episode. Cheers, Lassie. Yeah. Cheers to you as well.